Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Let's talk about the most recognized verse in all of history. Those of you that are old enough, you'll remember the guy at the football games with a multicolored wig, and he would hold up a sign that says, John 3.16. Some of y'all will remember a wrestler who took a spin over of that and called it Austin 3.16. Totally different thing. All right? But John 3.16, God for so God loved the world, and this is how He loved them. I want you to understand this, and you probably know this, but God's love is for everyone. Everyone. And even those who you would say, man, that person is a lost cause. That person, there's, he, he or she, they're unreachable. Folks, I was unreachable at one moment. You were unreachable at a moment. And the message of Jesus Christ's love is now more important today than ever because people have a distorted view of who Jesus is. People are putting their politics before the gospel. They are putting their selfishness before the gospel and trying to make Jesus' love fit within their narrative. But folks, the only narrative that we need to discover God's love is found right in this word right here. So if you have a copy of God's word, turn to John chapter 3 this morning. If you have the Bible app from Version, you can go to the little menu button, hit events, and it will pull up our outline for this morning so you can follow along with the points in the scripture. I apologize. Normally we have points on the screen, but... <laughs> As most of you got the text at 10 o'clock, the plans change. But this is very simple because this comes right out of his word. The first thing that we see in verses 1 through 15 is that knowing about Jesus is not the same as believing in him. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as believing in him. I am sure there, almost every one of you in here, if we were to ask you, Do you know who Jesus is? Most of you would say, yes. We might even go as far as to say, do you believe in Jesus? Most of you say, well, yeah, I believe him. I believe that he lived. That's another level. But do you truly believe in him? Have you placed your life in his hands? And this is what we're dealing with today. And we see that starting in verse 1, it says there was a man named Nicodemus. And he was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So just real quick background, the Pharisees were a religious order based from the Jewish nation, from God's chosen people. They thought they had the corner on the market to God. They thought that they were the best. They thought that everybody else was wrong. And they thought that they knew everything. That's it in a glance. Verse 2, notice it says, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus, the rabbi. So again, Picture this, big prestigious man, probably on the Jewish council, maybe the Sanhedrin. People knew him, they knew about Jesus, they talked about Jesus, and what they heard that was happening. So instead of him going out during the daytime, where everybody could see him, he went out at night. (laughs) He came to speak, a rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. We see Nicodemus knew about Jesus and what he had heard from others, 
but he had not placed his faith in him. Folks, there are many Nicodemuses, maybe even in these pews this morning, maybe watching by way of Facebook. You know about Jesus. You've heard what your friends have said by, about Jesus. You may, you may have had some kind of experience when you were a little child and talked to a preacher or, or, or said a prayer, but still he seems so far away. Knowing about Jesus, Nicodemus was coming asking for information. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Many of you that are born, or not born, but if you were raised in church, if I were to ask you what does born again mean, you would know that. Oh yeah, preacher, that means you, you become a Christian. You're, you're a new creature. You have a new life. Okay, try somebody that has not gone to church. Born again. I mean, really, that, that is a, a church phrase there. And even Nicodemus struggles with that. This shocked the religious Jews who thought that the mere birth of being a Jew guaranteed them their spot with God. That was a physical birth. In other words, their, their lineage, their race. Not that we have any problem with racism today, right? They thought that their race were the only ones that God loved. And so here they thought their physical birth meant that they were with God. Now Jesus is saying that, no, that is not it. You need a spiritual birth. You see, most Jews in that day thought that the Messiah would come to earth to exalt themselves. In other words, Jesus' main, well, not even Jesus, the Messiah when he comes. The Messiah when he comes, in their minds, the Messiah is going to take the Jewish nation and they're going to be more powerful than the United States. They're going to be more powerful than Russia and Ukraine and the Middle East. And they're just going to be top dogs. That's what they think. That's what they thought back then. But actually, he came not to give them a new place in this life. He came to give them and you and I a new life through himself and with God. So... What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So just to let you know, he took the phrase born again quite literally in his answer. You mean we can you know, go through that process again? I don't want anything to do with that. Well, Nicodemus knew better, but that was just. As you see many times, that was a stonewalling tactic. But he was a curious man who knew something was missing in his life. He was powerful. He was well-respected as a religious leader. He was an example for us today. In hindsight, we see that he had all the blanks, and he was just waiting for them to be filled. Look, I want you to understand something. Nicodemus had all the knowledge he needed about the Messiah. He had all the knowledge he needed about Jesus, but he had yet to act on that and say, you know what, I believe that. For myself. You see, think of the businessman that controls a large corporation. People will follow him and are accountable to him. They can broker million dollar deals, wear expensive suits, but when it comes, then they come home and they sit in the recliner. They got a kid they can't control and a wife that, or a wife to a husband that they're struggling in their communication. It's frustrating, isn't it? I see it with first responders all the time. Uh, for many of them, if, if a 747 were to land in Homeland Park through different training and different systems, you could figure out how to handle that. But when you go home to your wife and your children and you're not the top dog all the time and you have to hear other opinions, it gets a little difficult, doesn't it? Some of you say, well, preacher, I'm not even old enough to be married yet. That's not even 
on my radar. Well, I understand that, but there are things that you're good at where you feel you excel at. Maybe it's a student that got straight A's in high, high school and when they went to college, it was a struggle. Maybe that first time they got their first B. Boy, if I got a B, it would have standed for blessed. C was complete. D was for a diploma. F was forget about it. But all joking aside, think of the mom who tells everyone about the joy she's experiencing as a stay-at-home mom when really she's crying out on the inside because she has, she wants companionship. She wants someone to notice her. Or maybe of the churchgoer that says, everything is great. Hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, everything's fine. But you know, beyond that veneer, beyond that mask, everything is not fine. Isn't it amazing you can be in a, a crowd this size and have people sitting beside you, know your name, shake your hand, but yet sometimes when you hear these things read, and when the Lord starts dealing with your heart, you feel alone. That's not being alone. That is God through His Holy Spirit showing you the void that is in your life. And that's what He was doing with Nicodemus. And look, there are many people that have intellectual abilities. There are people that are so smart, they try to say that there is no God. I was uh, listening to a guy preaching a sermon. He had an illustration of uh, a man that was challenged. He was a public preacher. He would go out to the streets and preach. And one time this real proud atheist man said, I'll tell you what, let's have a debate. And he wanted to kind of pick that, that preacher apart and show how much that preacher didn't know. And the man said, okay, that's fine. But what I want you to do is that I will come debate with you, Mr. Atheist, but I want you to do two things to do that. Number one, you you find... Somebody that was down and out and lost and had no hope and their life was turned around through atheism. If you could find one person that has that testimony, then if you could go out and find a prostitute or someone that's on the street, a homeless person that is in need, that thinks that this atheism could pull them out of that. If you could find those two people, I'll be glad to debate with you because this guy knew, this street preacher knew that he could go find hundreds of people that knew that their life without Christ was so much worse than when they found Christ. That smart atheist said, he smiled, he said, no thank you, and moved on. Because words will not change us, folks. God's word will change us. His spirit that comes into our life. It says in verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and born again. Just an aside note, what the term born again not only means that you have a new spiritual birth, we call it in the church world, regeneration. You ever heard of the verse, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation? We believe that when you... you, when you come to Jesus Christ, that old person dies. That sinful person is dead and no longer, no longer alive. And then you rise to walk and you are a new creature, new creation. It is the ultimate do-over. Well, then he says that humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And check this out. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it's coming from. 
or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born in the Spirit. I love this. Salvation is something that only God can do. If I could explain it to you and let you know the exact process of how that works, if it was a man-made thing, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have needed Jesus Christ to die for our sins. It's something only God can do. When he talks about being born of the water and born of the Spirit, as a religious expert on all things that are Jewish, Nicodemus would have recognized that terminology, born of water, from Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 36 through 38. You know, you may believe I can teach you how to skydive. I can't. I would never do skydiving. I'd go fast enough on a log slide, let alone skydiving. I'd probably set a world record. Send the big boy down. Land speed record. It wouldn't be the flying down, it would be the hard part. It would just be the stopping part, right? But if you believe I can, I can help you skydive, you can believe you. Oh, yeah, preacher, I believe you can do that. Okay, well, then strap on and let's jump. Oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not going to do that. It's one thing to believe it in your head. It's another thing to strap on and you have something costing. You, you have what they call flesh in the game, so to speak. And Nicodemus says in verse 9, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you that we know and we have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me... When I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Quite literally, he, uh, he came down, he descended from heaven. And so, what is Jesus saying here? Let me just give you a, a, a point blank bottom line. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you are not going to understand spiritual things with human reasoning. You are not going to understand the spiritual work of God beyond human reasoning. For many people, I'll never forget when I went to college. um, My first couple years of college was one very close to here. It rhymes with um, Manderson Mollage. And and at at the time, the, the school was... Back back in that day, uh, there was a lot of, of strife among the Southern Baptists, and we eventually split into the Cooperative Baptist, and, and there were things going on. That, and I remember having a New Testament and Old Testament professors in a Christian Baptist school. They, were, they actually said while we were in there, in the class, the flood account in the Bible is not true. It is not literal. It is a retelling of the Babylonian myth called Gilgamesh. And my little Sunday school brain's going, what? My Sunday school teacher did. You are wrong, sir. And then I had another professor that told me, oh, by the way, God is not male. He's female. Okay. That was not in my Sunday school class either. And so what I found is, is that now, don't get me wrong. They were very educated, and they knew this. But when, if you've ever been to a Christian college, and you're that kid like me that was going to church, 
you did your Sunday school lesson, you maybe did a little bit of discipleship, some scripture reading, and you go, oh, I'm going to go to this Christian school, and I'm going to go in this Bible class, and I'm going to ace that because I've got 10 years of being in church. Yeah, good luck on that. Because when you walk into that religion class, these professors, you're the kind of kid they're eating for lunch. And when they start challenging you with these things, what do we do? We have to dig in. We have to know because there are too many people on the collegiate level and then now in the secular level. This is not a book of faith. This is a textbook. This is something where you try to pick out all the errors. This is just like a, 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 a sociology book. This is just like any other study that you would do. And you just study this and you take the faith out of it. Folks, you cannot take the faith out of it because that's what it is based upon. Nicodemus was having to learn that. And then, uh, real quick, it says in verse 14, I don't know if you ever caught this, but verse 14 says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Folks, we are heading to the most famous, memorized, quoted written, wrote about, told about, shared verse in the world, John 3.16. But before we get there, Jesus reminds them about what it was like when they were in the wilderness and the Israelites, they were out in the wilderness, they had become disobedient, so God sent fiery serpents. Now, some of y'all like playing with snakes. No. No, 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 no let alone fiery serpents. And so it says here that it's, it's going back to um, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. So what happened was God told Moses, raise up this bronze serpent and anybody who was bitten by those fiery serpents will not die. So he did it, he raised it up, and it was made of bronze And the significance of that is that bronze was made by intense heat. This was a sign as this was showing God's judgment. So as that serpent is raised up, it's not signifying evil. It's signifying God's judgment. And if you look at that and say no to these other ways that you were acting, and you know that you need God, you will be saved. So as it was lifted up, people looked to the snake, the bronze snake, the bronze serpent, and they were saved. God. Now, don't miss this because it's easy to go right past this. So as the snake was lifted up, the people were saved. Jesus right here is giving not only a, a connection to who he is, but what will happen. Because when Jesus is lifted up on that cross, and that cross, boom, falls into the ground, and his hands are nailed to a cross... His feet are now to a cross. And when He is lifted up and we look unto Him and we accept Him and we believe in Him and we stake our life on Him, we are saved. This poison called sin that is in this world, we are saved from it. Not because of what we have done, because of when Jesus was lifted up and His blood was shed for you and I. That is what leads to John 3.16. It 
It says in verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Folks, I want you to know real quick that eternal life is not just in the hereafter. It's right now. If you are experiencing the blessings of God, that is eternal life living. If we have a hope to what eternal life is going to be, that is eternal life living. Even in the good and even when bad things happen, if God is with you in the middle of that, that is eternal life. That is in the here and the here and the now. So let's get to the verse that we've been talking about all morning. John three sixteen and 17. For this is how God loved the world. See, when you, when you read those previous verses, it kind of puts it into context, don't it? It kind of lets you see why Jesus even said this. He's trying to show to Nicodemus, look, all the knowledge in the world is not going to save you. It is God's love that will save you. And he says, for this is how God loved the world. And again, when he says this is how God loved the world, as a devout Jewish man as he was, this was offensive. Because you know what he was saying? God loves the Jews and the non-Jews. God loves the whites, but he also loves the blacks. God loves the red, yellow, black, and white. God loves those immigrants trying to cross into our country. God loves those people that are trying to get out of our country. God loves those people that don't agree with you politically. God loves those people that walk down our streets. God loves those people that try to do you harm. God so loved the world. It's not part of the world. It's not a section of the world. It is not a color of the world. God loves the world, and this would have been offensive to him. It says he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Folks, it is just simple. People say, well, if God was such a loving God, why would he send people to hell? If you take this verse right here, you see that God loves you so much he does not want people to go to hell. If he wanted people to go to hell, he never would have given his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we've got these precious children that are in here, and y'all are hanging on, and y'all are acting great, and I'm about to wrap up because I know that your timer is about out. Parents are going, oh, please, just one more minute, God, one more minute. But these children are precious. And I know there is not a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, family, friend, or anybody that would even think about sacrificing that precious child for somebody else. Yet God did. We have families every day of men and women that are serving in our armed forces and first responders. They're giving their sons and daughters up every day so that we can have freedom, so that we can enjoy worshiping here in our drive-in clothes. I want you to understand something. God does not send people to hell. God gave us away from hell. People go to hell because they choose to reject the love that God has offered to us for that. Everyone who believes in him. This is not a love that we simply believe in. It's one we put our faith in. Now I'm going to tell you, you know, there's a... There's Valentine's Day and there's all these other things. We've got a young couple that has just got engaged, and I'm sure love is in the air. Oh, and we think about when we were in love and how we are still in love. Ain't it sickening, honey? 
Love is a good thing. But you know what? It doesn't matter how many. <laughs> I've told you all this story before, and I should probably stick with my notes. But i never forget. You know, for every now and then, there's a, there's a time where a man just needs no one to be quiet. And uh, I, I reserve that right, right a lot. But there were days when I were younger that no one told me about that. That, that I, sh- I, I chose to shoot my mouth off every now and then. So I can't remember what it was. I'm sure Donna remembers and will tell me later. Just me, nobody else. But I can't remember what I did, but it was bad. So what do you do, guys? What do you do? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That steamroller might roll you over if you don't do something. And I, look, I'm, I'm picking. She's not bad. But the funny part was, I know what I'll do. I'm going to send her some flowers at work. Flowers work, right? You would think. So I forget what happened. I thought, okay, of course she called me and said she liked the flowers. But when we got home, it was a different story. You remember what you said to me? Oh, I do. We got into a discussion, and she wasn't having it. She said, and don't think some suck-up flowers are going to do anything. I said, I got you. No more flowers. Now she says, you don't never send me flowers. You know why? That's okay. I know. Jewelry always works, guys. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. But all joking aside, the love that costs, the love, the love that... The love that says, I'm committed to you. Look, I know that this day is a new age, and I know that there's a lot of, of free love and, and uncommitted love going on, but there's just something about when you make that commitment to another person that just says, look, I'm burning the bridges. I'm not keeping my options open. I deleted my Tinder profile. You can have my Facebook password. You can have my phone password. Now, that's real love, right? You can do all this stuff. You're my forever. And you commit, and you try to do it like the Lord wants you to do it, and you're committing to one another. Folks, it's just the same way with God. We can give God all the lip service we want, but until we commit our lives to Him, we say, oh, I love God. We, we could have had a few more songs and raised the roof and, and gotten guest speakers in here and guest uh, singers and really raised the roof here this morning and had a good old pep rally, but when we go out beyond these walls, we still have to. Love God and love others. As we come to the home stretch here, I want you to see that God defines love in this verse. The basis of all relationships is proven in loving someone to the point of sacrificing yourself for them. The reason I have heard many people say, many spouses and many people that were dating, I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love him anymore. If you dig down deep, you know what happens? You take the love off the center of your heart and you put yourself on it. My needs are not being met. He's not doing what I want to do. She's not doing what I need. That's not love. That's selfishness. Marriages, relationships, governments, etc. would benefit from following God's example because these all fail when people are looking out for their own special interests. So as we end up, verses 18 through 21, don't be afraid of God's light. 
Here's the thing about a light. A light, a light can be a source. Like if you've ever been to like a, a nasty room or a dirty room or maybe even the uh, exterminator had just come recently and you go in and you flip on the lights and you see little creepy crawlers running around. Ooh, I hate that. The light reveals it and they, and they woo, they go. That's scary. But also, if you're ever lost in the woods and you see a light way down there and you know that that's somewhere you need to go, that light will lead you to the way. And what I want us to see here is that light can be a source that reveals things that are not right. That is what the light of God does. When we read the word and we say, ouch, that's, that's talking to me. I just better, I'll just, oh no, I'm, I'm not dealing that. That's what a lot of people do. Again, that's like the doctor saying, well, sir, I'm sorry, but you've got this disease. Oh, no, I don't. La, 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 la. I don't believe you. And it's still going to ravage us. Verse 18. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. See, so your church letter is not going to make a difference in the judgment. Your attendance record, whether it be good or bad, is not going to make a difference. It's going to be what you did with Jesus. Verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right and come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Folks, there are many things we could fear. And there's things that we choose to ignore. But what I want you to see here is that God's love is a sacrificial love. God's love is a demonstrated love. And God's love is an undeserved love. There is nothing you did to deserve it. But God gave it to you anyway. That's why they call it grace. Let's pray. God, I come before you now this morning, and and our invitation is going to be this simple. But yet, it's really complex. I know this. But if, God, you are dealing with somebody this morning, out of your word, what you have said to them from your scriptures, and they want to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they not only know about you, but they have placed their faith in you, or that they need to rededicate their life to you, or they want to get baptized, or they want to join this church, or they just have some spiritual questions, maybe some encouragement. We're not going to sing Kumbaya for three verses. The invitation is simply this. God, I'm going to be right here. And if someone wants to know you, to reconnect with you, or to make a commitment to you, and if I can be of any help, may they do that today.